listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Wire World Pro Audio. Now from the Nowcast Network Studios, here's Mike. Hey, welcome to the Audio Nowcast. My name is Mike Rodriguez. Um, before we get going, let me introduce the panel. Starting with Mr. Nick Peck. Nick. Well, good evening, Mike, and good evening, gentlemen. It's wonderful to be back. How many Thursdays in a row is this that we've done? This Is this like number seven? No, this is at number eight. Wow. It's, That's so uh, great. It's pretty crazy. Uh, next to him, we've got Mr. Brandon Birdside. Hey, Mike. Hey, guys. It's good to see you, Brandon. Good to see everybody. And then uh, next to him, we've got Mr. Scott Gershon. <laughs> Scott. Yeah, well. I, don't, I don't think we've ever seen an introduction where you haven't made some type of noise. That was amazing. <laughs> that was like the Ameri- silence is the loudest sound I That's, have. You know what? That's the American beauty of, of intros right there. <laughs> and then finally, the Iron Man of the Audio Nowcasts, Mr. Rob. I've been to 204 podcasts. Arbiter. What is up, Mike? What is up, everybody? Wow, Rob, you sound really good. You sound like FM DJ good. (laughs) And the crazy thing is, that's how you normally sound. (laughs) It's the magic of the RE20, a fantastic new microphone. Hey, so um, this is going to be a really fun fun episode. Um, We got a lot of fun stuff to talk about. But before you say anything, I have a confession. It actually... uh, led into a really good topic of discussion. So normally I, it takes me about an hour, hour and a half to set up for the podcast, mainly just to get in the right headspace and to, you know, get the logos and all the screens and just, you know, set my mic up and the whole thing. And uh, today, because of some things that I was doing, I had 28 minutes to do it, like to reconfigure the studio, to get everything going. So I was just like, psh, psh, psh. and actually I only had 18 minutes because I like to be on 10 minutes before in case people want to sign on and, uh, and uh, test their mic or the video camera or whatever. So I was rushing the whole time and it gave me a great idea for a topic that I want you guys to answer. And I call it minutes from disaster. Um, I, want, I want you guys to tell me a story about one time where you've either come to a venue, you know, 30, 30 minutes before you had to get on or you got your assets for something and it needed it like in 10 minutes. Like what was the closest call that you've ever had to do? Uh, or maybe you had more than one of them. And I'll start with you, Nick. Do you, is there anything you can think of? Oh, I have, a, I have a long story. If you, if you want to get in, it's a pretty amazing one. Um, all right. I've never told this story before, but it's really, it's really good. So Give us the pseudo-condensed version of it. The pseudo-condensed version is I was in a hippie jam band that was touring the West Coast. And we were coming back from Missoula, Montana, and we were playing the big final show of the tour. And it was at this, it, it must have been Eugene, Oregon, but I, I think it was, it was, must have been Eugene. And it was the biggest venue in Eugene and it was St. Patrick's Day, right? So that we knew that it was going to be this huge thing. And the ersatz manager that we had had was, you know, pumping this up to be this big, massive thing, right? So we're driving to the gig and a, a gasoline truck turns over on the freeway, blocking the entire freeway, right? And, and th- this is 20 years ago. And, and we sat there waiting 
and waiting and waiting to get to the gig. And it's two o'clock and three o'clock and four o'clock and five o'clock. And we're like still four hours away from the venue. What are we going to do? We finally get through it and the drummer steps on it and we're going, you know, 120 miles an hour down the freeway. And of course the cops pull us over and say, yeah, we know you lost a lot of time because of the gasoline truck thing, but you know, don't, don't, uh, you know, please don't kill anyone, including yourselves. So we go screeching in there. We finally get there, you know, right before the gig is supposed to start, we walk in and there's three people there. <laughs> three people had come to see us because the manager had done a horrendous job and the venue thought we were a much bigger band than we were. We just, we hadn't, we didn't know what we were doing and we didn't have the reach of going up to Eugene, Oregon. So we come in and they say, yeah, you guys are not going to play tonight, but you guys can have some dinner and then leave. So we ate. It was the saddest, most pathetic dinner ever. Went back to the hotel room. And all I remember from that is that the drummer proceeded to drink as much as he could so that he could then vomit, which he did. <laughs> that was the end of that story. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's minutes from disaster or minutes in disaster. <laughs> there's so many, there's there's so many so ways. There's so much disaster in it. There's so much disaster in it. So that was the end of the band, by the way. <laughs> Brandon, what about you? I mean, I can't think of one, but I have many. The Every day in the, the trailer world working for at Trailer Park was everything in the 11th hour. It was, right. it's, you know, not uncommon uh, for the client to be like, oh yeah, you guys got a, a, you know, two weeks to work on this trailer. You know, then you get a call at 5 p.m. Oh, hey, uh, they changed that, that meeting to 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. So can you guys do this overnight? So it's like, that's happened many, many times. And it's been just a rush, rush to do what should properly take you a day in like an hour, you know, nonstop. Wow. Scott, how about you? Um, God, there's too many. Um, one that was kind of fun. Uh, when I was younger, I was uh, in a tour band, uh, a band caught up with people, and we played a small little town in British Columbia called Golden, British Columbia. And, um, you know, we had a full trust system and the whole bit and, oh, wow. you know, oh yeah, and it was, it was 100 people on stage and lights shooting out and a whole bit. So at one point we were finishing a finale, not the end of the show, but a big kind of mid mid show kabang so we're all doing everything's going music's going all the lights go black and the whole town went black <laughs> we blacked out the whole town of golden british columbia Ugh. and then you know you heard everyone stirring so we tried to figure out what to do so at that time everyone grabbed their pick lighters in the audience and the whole place lit up and we grabbed all our acoustic equipment and we finished the show as an acoustic Wow, that's pretty cool. So, so that's actually that's actually instead of minutes to a disaster, that's like minutes to an amazing performance. <laughs> no, it's you know. Oh, wait, wait. Can I have one more? Sure. This one, this one's a fun one. Okay. So, this other people like. So I, uh, uh, I don't know. When my twenties, I worked at Disneyland. And me too, um, brother. So. <laughs> Um, I was what they call tech services and uh, we were doing the, um, the parade. 
Okay, so now the way the parade works in, is there's a 24 track that is music and it gets changed to the different zones. So as the band moves, it switches to the different speakers along the path. Okay, on the 24 track, there is also a little uh, GPI triggers in audio that trigger the fireworks. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Zoom. And then the fireworks go. Okay, so we're all sitting there, you know, on the rooftops in Main, Main Street. And all of a sudden, and I didn't know, I keep hearing clicking. Now, this is like a matrix moment. You see, we had uh, our tech services and you had producers all on walkie talkies on the rooftops. And they're like, and they start running. And we're all like, what's going on? And what's the clicking? All of a sudden, behind the Matterhorn, all the fireworks oh. shoot up at once. Somebody had mispatched the audio into the fireworks system. So all the fireworks got triggered all at once. And the clicking was supposed to be all the sounds of the fireworks you know, triggers. <laughs> so we're looking we're like, no. And you see these people running and the matter is like, just <laughs> lit up. The most amazing three second fireworks show you've ever seen. And then it was done. That's awesome. That's so, great. Nice. That's so funny. You were on the cooler side of the Disneyland employees. I, on the other hand, Scott, was a pirate going, how many? Oh. How many? How many? <laughs> uh, Rob, what, what years were you what years were you oh i was there 90 like it's it's actually the job that i had in between touring believe it or not because it's like if you're gonna have to have a job in between tours why not work at disneyland disneyland's a you know if you're I'm, young in your 20s that's what so that's what I did. So I would nice. tour and then I'd come back, pick up some ships and go back and tour. I was actually, I was actually, canoes were really fun. I was on the canoes. I was on all the West side attractions. It was, it was pretty cool. Anyhow, Rob, how about you? Well, uh, picking one was the hard part because I have thousands of these, but uh, I'll give you an old Stevie one because uh, those are usually the most chaotic. <laughs> <laughs> I have one that predates, I think, when you were with us. Um, and actually, I should point out, I don't know when this is going to be released, but yesterday was Stevie's 70th birthday. Wow. wow. I remember when he was 60. Holy Mac. Yeah, no, turned released. 70 yesterday. And you want to hear a really weird coincidence? Yesterday was also the 35-year anniversary of me meeting him and starting with him. Wow. Wow. So as of yesterday, May 13th, it's a major day for me. As of yesterday, I've been in his life for exactly half his life. Wow. wow. Pretty that's, weird. Uh, that's pretty incredible. And we had a great moment yesterday. I texted him and uh, reminded him about all this stuff and wished him a happy birthday, and I never heard back. So it was really, it was really <laughs> a warm celebration we had. <laughs> it was a Stevie How does one. he read text messages, Rob? Uh, the phone reads them to him. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> yep. Voice uh, output is a big thing for him. Maybe that wasn't uh, working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll say that. That's why it was different than the other 10,000 texts he hasn't returned lately. But anywho, <laughs> but here's the story. So, and nothing, nothing with Stevie was at the last, like the last 30 minutes. I mean, 30 minutes was an eternity. Everything was, you know, the, the last frame of the 59th second of the 11th hour, you know. But here's one. So in the early, 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 early days when I was touring with him, all the backing tracks used to be on an Otari 1-inch 16-track tape machine. Was that, were you ever on those tours, Mike, or was that before you? No, no, I was way frame. We were all digital when I got okay. there. So this is, this is a couple years before you were there. So it was probably late 80s. 
and all of his backing tracks were on Atari 16 track and nothing was lip synced or anything like that. It's just that, you know, some of the samples, you know, we didn't have reliable samplers to carry back then. And for a lot of the orchestral orchestral stuff, it was easier to carry tape than an orchestra in some cities. So we would have these Otari 16 track tapes. And what they had is they had a, a white piece of leader tape that you would line up to the playhead. And then you could figure out at what point you had to hit play to be in sync. Now, a lot of these tapes had a count off. So you would just start, you'd hit play. And then in his earphones, Stevie would hear, you know, one, two, three, four, and then Overjoyed would start or something like that. And a song like Overjoyed is a good example because it had all those nature sounds that, you know, really had to be on tape. Uh, so one of the songs that we used this technology for was Part-Time Lover. And the thing with Part-Time Lover is he didn't want the tape to count it off. He wanted to count it off. So he wanted to go a one, two, a one, two, three, four, and then Part-Time Lover would kick in. And so I had to figure out okay, when do I hit play? You know, if I line up the leader tape, when do I have to hit play so that it lines up with him counting it off? And I figured it out. It was the last 16th note of beat two of the count off. So every night it was like this. I'll clap where I would hit play. So it would be a one, two, a one, two, three, four. And I, I got so used to hitting play right there that anytime I hear somebody count, I actually hear that like pre-beat three thing in my head. Okay, so that's the way the show went. And we did it that way dozens if not hundreds of times well one night i was setting up the uh, otari and the tape snapped uh, leader tape snapped and the show was already going and part-time lover back then was the big hit this is the late 80s so right. he was ending the show with part-time lover so we've been through the whole show everything's gone fine i load up the part-time lover tape we only had one of these tape machines so i was constantly changing tapes i load up the tape and the leader snaps and i realized oh oh no, someplace I have tape to fix this, you know, adhesive tape, but I don't know where it is. So I'm crawling around in the dark, looking through the rack, <laughs> trying to find the adhesive tape. I end up finding the tape, repairing the leader, which I'm doing in the dark. You know, I didn't have a cutting block or anything. I'm doing this all just like on the floor of Madison Square Garden or someplace. I, I don't remember where it was, but it was some huge venue with a huge crowd. And I remember as I'm getting up from the floor, he starts the count off for Part-Time Lover. So... I had literally like a second from when I fixed the leader to line it up. He was already saying, and here's the one you've been waiting for or something like that. And I'm lining up the leader to the playhead. And literally it was less than a second before he then went, I want two, I want two. <laughs> and I remember hitting play and it started and it was fine. And I just fell on the floor. I oh just, <laughs> I basically listened to the whole thing from the floor. Cause once I hit play, I didn't have to do it. But wow. that was the closest I ever cut it. That was that was nightmare. That that's pretty incredible. I mean, the tour stories are the ones where you're like, there's there's no turning back. It's like a giant live like, baby. Yeah, it was the ocean liner that's just gonna go forward. My my, I'm gonna tell the story I, I, of. Uh, I just you just add one thing to that, then you tell your story. If you remember in those days, I don't know if you ever witnessed this, but back then, if there was a technical screw up, Stevie would then invite you on stage to explain to the audience what went wrong. <laughs> I got called out once or twice for that. So there was a huge incentive not to screw up because if something screwed up, he'd say, stop, 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 stop. Rob, come out here. Help people with what's happening. That's, okay. that's hilarious. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, no, that's story? okay. No, actually, I, I've told this story on the podcast before, but it's talking about cutting it close. It was the closest I've ever had to anything, even broadcasts. And I've had some horribly short, like, scary moments but um when i toured with striper and i was the drum tech and robert sweet 
had uh, all his drums were triggered. There was it was all electronic. There was no acoustic anything except his snare drum, which was uh, acoustic and a triggered also. So anyhow, um, we're playing the biggest show over at the Old Ritz, um, Madison Square. I mean, in uh, New York by. Uh, it used to be, it was the Ritz. They called it the old Ritz. Anyhow, it used to be Studio 54, basically. And so they're doing a ton of press. Everybody's going to be there. And um, the start of the show is Robert, you know, after the intro tape, he comes and he goes, like it's just this one big fill that starts it. And his drums, the, the, they were all sampled and it was drums of, um, drums of doom. Um, and that's what we call those drums because they were so big and it was just like the kick drum back then in eighties wasn't just a kick drum. It was like a kick drum sample mixed with like an anvil mixed with like a cannonball. I mean, these were just huge, loud, heavy metal drums. So anyhow, I have everything set up and uh, it's all going good. And I, I keep a floppy disk and all the uh, samplers and all of a sudden some stagehand comes running by, kicks the power cord, unplugs my rack of all my samplers Ugh. and then then does the worst thing he plugs it right back in uh. right i look over and all my samplers all my akai samplers had nothing but japanese characters across all the things i'm like oh my goodness they start the intro tape and it was the dragnet don the don don the story you're about to see so that's going it's all just all just Japanese characters. So I turn off the whole rack. I wait five seconds. I turn it on. Everything's loaded. Now the old Akai samplers at that time, um, if you if you had a, a floppy inside the disk drive and you turned it on, it'll auto load. So it'll auto load anything that's in the disk drive. So when I turned it off, I pushed this, the floppy into everyone. Thank God I kept the floppies just out, just for something like this. So now. Um, I turn it on and then you remember those old Akai uh, S10 samplers um, where they would, you just see the little line as the samples, as it's loading, right? Just this little line goes across. So now I'm hearing, bum, 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 the story about to see is true, but they come out on stage and I'm looking at this little line, Shh. you know, they're doing it on this little line. I'm like, come on, come on, come on, ah, ah, this little line. And then he gets up on his stage on his riser and I can see him and he's looking down at me. I'm looking down and I'm like, ah, you know, and I'm just lying because you never want to let the artist know just how close it is to disaster. So he's looking at me and then he hits, he hits one of his drums really soft and he doesn't hear anything. And he, and he has this look like what's going on. And I'm going, you know, I'm just giving him the high sign. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden the tape ends and he goes up and I see, you know, drums of doom, drums of doom, drums of doom, drums of doom all show up. And he goes, Rippa! and I'm like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> That was like, that was a lifetime of worry and of anxiety. So yeah, those are, those are kind of crazy. But let me ask you this. Doesn't it feel great when it's all done? Well, except for yours, Nick. <laughs> when it's all done now. Mine just sucked. <laughs> it did not feel great. I mean, Rob, right? I bet you were euphoric once everything went, went, was going. Yeah. I mean, and then, you know, later when you tell the story to him, like how close it was to disaster. <laughs> You know, he finds it mildly entertaining. But. <laughs> I just, I find those, like, those are the type of stress where everything else is pale in comparison. You know, it's like, ah, I was almost 10 it, seconds away from it makes, it makes a fun story afterwards. Yeah, I know. I wouldn't want to live like, it again. Like, not during it. 
but, but it afterwards does, it's kind of fun. It does actually teach you lessons. Like you learn to keep those floppies in the drive. Like, oh, heck yeah. Heck yeah. And heck. I, I've got one for you, Rob, because I know this is your favorite band. Uh, I was, uh, um, I was, uh, I was a stage guy over at Pacific Amphitheater. And then uh, Rob's favorite band, Rush, was playing. Yes. And I became friends with the band. So I became kind of their stage tech guy who was local because I knew the gear at the time. And uh, all of a sudden, he starts opening up all the E2s, emus, and he had like all of them just racked. And he's shaking air canisters and blowing the chips like upside down to cool them off because they were overheating. So he looks at me as fast as you can spray, spray. Because <laughs> Getty Lee is starting to, you know, do Jake, you know, <laughs> Rob's favorite songs. Did it, did it work, Scott? It did. No, the whole, the whole, the whole concert, yeah, we're we, just doing we're, that. We used to have to do that on tour with Emulator Tunes. It was a short time period, but yeah, that really... They yeah, Steve, yeah. That's crazy. Well, hey, listen, those were awesome stories. We're going to move on, but yeah, that was... that. Yeah, that just the whole getting rest ready for the podcast, I reminded me of that. Like, oh my gosh. Of course, you guys, it's not like we're live, so if we were late, <laughs> you know, there's really no consequences, but I just like to be punctual anyhow, so... That's kind of funny. Hey, really quick, I got to mention a few things that um, happened in the in the world that are pretty um, pretty substantial. And the first thing is uh, Unreal Epic released their Unreal Engine Five, and if you guys haven't seen that demo, go after the podcast and look at the Unreal Engine Five. It's incredible. It's running on a PlayStation Five, and it's incredible how amazing the graphics are like we're talking real-time rendering with volumetric lighting of millions and millions of triangles not even yeah, it's a hundred million polygons yeah just for a statue yeah so just real time and that's with lighting and texturing and everything i mean volumetric lighting that's you know, volumetric lighting is is what makes something seem real. If you look at your room, you know, it's not crystal clear. Even in, in, in a room that you're at right now, there's a little bit of haze. There's a little bit of atmosphere. There's a little bit of something that's happening um, in, in inside, outside, you know, especially in nature, things like that. It's really difficult. It was actually <laughs> not anymore, apparently, but it was really difficult to do because you have to take into surfaces and bounce and reflections and things like that. Anyhow. They're doing this all real time on the PlayStation 5. It's pretty incredible. Anyhow, incredible. and the reason why I mentioned that is because part of the demo, they talked about their audio engine, which is based on Convolution Reverb, and they have all this Convolution Reverb, and it has all this stuff. And here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking they got this amazing freaking technology for rendering, and they're basing it on Convolution Reverb, which right now that's probably – the most sophisticated thing we have for reverb, but that is so weak in comparison to what they're doing on the graphic side. Because the thing about convolution reverb, especially, you know, on impulses, it's reverb based on the impulse at that one spot. So like you're in a cave, right? And they do a convolution reverb and you get the impulse for a cave. So here's a cave. It's the spot where that cave, where that mic was to get that impulse. Right. You know, as well as I do, you move around, especially in large spaces like that, the reverb changes. Sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less, especially if you go to nature, because nature, not everything is reflective as you may think. Sometimes like sand gets, it, sand soaks up a lot of audio, you know, dirt, like 
granite, uh, hard services like granite, <laughs> uh, you know, reflect. But I think now's the time, like, we need some breakthrough and reverb sound technology to allow for not only um, environments for where you're in the environments, but, but like I said, something like a LIDAR base, I don't want to go hype into what we were talking about last time, but a LIDAR base type of reverb where you can have the geometry play in no matter where you're at. And then you can assign surface values to different things, much like you have a shader tree and, and, um, and graphics. Like, why can't we have an audio version of a shader tree? I just think it makes way more sense and it would be really cool. Let me throw one thing out there because uh, I can't say what I'm working on, uh, but it's, it's kind of coming out now. Um, okay, so in gaming, you can define an area with a reverb and define another area with another reverb. So in this one game we're working on, we've built many, many reverbs within a small zone. So when you go through like a small tunnel pass, reverb changes. When you go outside in an alleyway, reverb changes. When you go towards machinery, reverb changes. Yeah, but, so but that's like... You've got all of these different reverbs. So as you move around in and out of very narrow areas to big areas, we're constantly changing the reverbs. Right, which is, I think it's cool. It's, it's the best we can do right now. But it's so weak compared to yeah, having... Having DSP though is goes to video. Well, yeah, Mike, let me jump. Let me jump in on this real quick. So, you know, the entire time that I was doing video games, the the metric and Scott, I don't know if you're if if you have the same experience. The metric was ninety percent of the CPU is for graphics and animation, and ten percent of the CPU is for audio. If you're and lucky. If you're yeah, and and so. It's, it's because of the, I mean, we've been fighting against this forever. It's because of the fact that everybody sees graphics and people know graphics, but that doesn't mean, you know, that the average person knows enough to be able to understand that to, to quote my ex boss, sound is 50% of the motion picture experience, right? Um, I went to find it. If I can just add to that real quick. Sure. There's two kind of, I'm going to be very generalistic. Some games are PCs for Steam games and stuff like that, there's no DSP for audio. Um, so it's a whole different set of dynamics. And then you've got dedicated platforms like Xbox and PlayStation that theoretically have dedicated um, computers. You know, there's stuff with Atmos and all this stuff. What we're finding is all the video games I'm starting to do these days, everybody's playing on headphones because they don't want to disturb the rest of the house. So instead of being a big PA systems and five ones and all that, they're all sitting in a corner somewhere with a kid in his or a parent or whatever, and they're all playing the headphones. Which and makes which makes my point even more valid because I was gonna say because we're on headphones, you want you know, you want to that's a place where you could really make an advancement and make a direct impact on the game. For instance, I'll tell you, I like shooters. I play Call of Duty. I play all these different shooters, right? You hear the footsteps and all that stuff. You know, they come up, you hear the guy, when you do multiplayer, you hear the guy come up and, and it's, you know, they, they try to, you know, make the reverb. It's, it's convoluted. It sounds a little different here and there, but there's, you're missing so much of the atmosphere of the whole place and not, not just, what's happening around you, but what's happening in other rooms. All I'm saying is if we could nail something where you can get a realistic dynamic reverb 
going no matter where you are. I think that's not only going to be the most amazing thing people will ever hear, especially on earbuds, but I think it's going to really up the game. I'm, you know, for video games. I think that's where, because graphics are going to get so great. They're going to be so good. And then where are you going to go? Well, let's go to audio. Right. Audio could add so much more. And that's, that's all I'm saying. It's good now. I, 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 there's nothing I, wrong I totally with it. agree with you. You know, the hard thing is people buy a new TV every 12 to 18 months. They don't buy a brand new sound system. Well, it doesn't even have to be a sound system. I'm talking about headphones. I'm headphones. Not even, I, I play uh-huh. all my games on headphones. All, and that's why it's crazy. But on headphones, you notice it even more. Like when you're playing without headphones and you're playing through like a stereo system, it, you have the room to work with you. So the room that you're in kind of adds to the whole reverb layer. But with headphones, it's here mm. and, and it, you don't have it working for you. That's why it sticks out. My Go ahead, Brand- well, hold on one second. Brandon? Yeah, yeah. I was just going to ask, what do you guys think that technology would look like? Because we're talking about a recording technology, you know. More well, I'll, I'll tell you what it would look like. It'll look like uh, we we mentioned this for podcasts. It well, at least I did. It would be some type of lidar based. You know, you take the data because you need the spatial data. So you right. you mix the spatial data with some type of of mathematical analysis, like a convolution. Uh, reverb does but it would be like a floating convolution reverb that can generate its own impulses with programmability as opposed to a real impulse people have done stuff though with basically taking acoustic taking the mapping of the environment and working out real-time spatial stuff and it's great until it's so cpu intensive that you know what i i agree but there was a time where rendering a hundred million polygons was just yeah. not real time with volumetric lighting. And, and was, NVIDIA was needs to be able to have an audio component yeah. to their massive right. graphics chips. Cause it's not the, the computer isn't doing it. It's the video card that's doing all the calculations. I, so we kind of need to go back to a sound card in theory that is a massive DSP and I and it would make sense to have that on a graphics card, you know, at the same time that the GPU is there. You're absolutely right, Scott. Yeah. Mike, the thing that I would say to add to that is throw out any notion of convolution. Throw out any notion of, you know, you are playing back recordings of a space and then trying to make it work through there. I think to get to what you're talking about, we're talking about a physical modeling system. We're talking about something with continuously changing parameters in which the system knows the volume of the space and it knows the surfaces of all of the space. And as you said, it's able to calculate rays just the same way that the, the GPUs are calculating light rays. It's got to sound good because right. This, right. that's the problem I found when, when I was doing VR, everybody was starting to come up with these new audio things. And the reality was it might be accurate, but sound like shit. Right. Well, so, that, that's true. Let me ask Rob, let me ask you a question. All right. Tell me, tell me the flaw in my thinking. So let's say you have this, this reverb that we're putting together and you have this little spot that occupies a, a, a space and judging by all the, the LIDAR data, you know, the space you're supposed to emulate. Now it has to make the calculation for the reverb at point A. Now, as soon as you move to point B, is it possible mathematically to not have to recalculate every single time, but to use some of the calculations that you did at this spot and just change the ones that you need to over at this spot? Uh, maybe to a small extent, but not mostly. I think the main problem is that there's so much math involved with this. And 
if you think about it, the the majority of the sound is not necessarily the space it's in. It's the sounds themselves. Right. So that's why it's much easier to focus on great multi-channel recording and how do you play them back than it is to get into crazy heavy math because you just don't have the processing power for it. Um, so, you know, I've, I've, I've fought with that before too, where, the, you know, you're dividing up CPUs between picture and sound and people don't realize how important the sound is. But the problem is the sound these days is good enough. Like the audience is not clamoring for better sound. They're clamoring for better graphics. Well, you, like not. you are a hundred percent correct. All you guys are correct. I just think that if anybody, if any of the companies really want to like jump to the next level, audio is a place that's that can really take it. What'll happen is eventually somebody will come up with another graphics processor where they have so much power that they just throw an extra DSP chip at sound and all of a sudden sound is super powerful. But as important as sound is to games, I don't think sound is ever going to drive the gaming market compared to picture. Same thing with televisions. Like people don't go into a store and listen to the TVs. Well, you know what though? But I don't, I don't, I don't buy that argument because we can't judge no, no, no. <laughs> because it's not for sale. I mean, hey, no, no. Hold on. Hold on one second. I don't, I don't buy the argument that, that like we haven't heard it. So you don't know if it's going to happen or not. You don't no, like, you know what, the market, there, was a, there was a fight when, you know, stereo came out. No, no one's going to buy has proven. Look at, look at MP3s. The market right. has that proven that people care about. about, people care about convenience and price much more than they care about sound quality. Most people can't even hear the difference and things have gotten so good that even the worst thing you can buy these days sounds pretty good. So it's just, it's a battle. I mean, you can fight it as much as you want, but the reality is in the last few decades, dating all the way back to, to vinyl, yeah, people care about convenience and price. And uh, I, 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 I can see that. I think, look, I think what's going to happen is you're going to get an NVIDIA, you're going to get some company that has already experience with dsp and they're gonna you're gonna have to develop an audio a super dsp audio chip if you it'll can develop a, a product super- it'll be a byproduct though they're not going to set out to say the secret to the next gaming system is incredible sound they're going to say we have this incredible picture and we've got so much dsp left over that now we can do five times the sound processing. but i will say the what i am noticing at like best buy is more of the tv companies are trying to get better sound bars and sound solutions. So true. Because You're 100%. Is, you don't need another TV. I mean, I have a 2K TV. looks amazing. 4K. It's still like 8K. There's nothing being made on 8K. Yeah. So, but they need to find a reason for you to keep turning those TVs around, which is why I believed that as uh, the console goes away, because there is a, this, this might be the last console that people buy because you can do certain things online. I believe all of those console technologies are going to move in the TVs and there'll be OEM deals with LG and all these things. So then you have to buy a new TV to get the latest, coolest DSP, yada, yadas. And with audio, and now it becomes a component. I mean, comes a whole package. And that's why every 12, 18 months buy a new TV. Right. It's just, and people will go crazy for smart TVs and all the, you know, built-in functions, all that. But they're not running to the store saying everything in our life is great except our TV doesn't sound good enough. Like no one is running to Best Buy. You know what? You know where it's going to come from? I figured out where my super LiDAR reverb is going to come from. It's going to come from the music side of things by some audio company that's going to develop that DSP chip not only for their plugin but for all the other plugins that they can run on that. Yeah, except but the market has already proven like super audio CDs. People 
Yeah. Well, not. No, no. It's it's not it's not it's not for any kind of clarity. It's for usefulness. It's for you know. I mean, you better believe if there was a reverb that was like twelve hundred bucks. Let's just say as a as a plugin, and I'm and I'm being like super high, and you could design your own space like some of the audio ease or some of the best very niche audience how's five one music doing out there but it's like, not five one it has nothing to do with the I'm just, channel i'm just saying every gimmick that has come along like that most people i'm not saying us audio geeks but most people think stereo reasonable stereo is good enough and they're happy to listen to 128 bit mp3 right Wait, but this is a, this is a plug-in to make music this is not a this this would be a tool this would be another reverb tool this is you know to have but when the like love, Amazon so Studio came out and everyone went, Atmos, oh my God, Atmos music out of a single, they put it in the kitchen and it does sound wide, but you're like, what? People go, ooh, it's only $300. It's cheaper than Apple's yada yada, you know. I, I think there's room for innovation and, and I predict something's going to come down the pipe like this because audio definitely needs a shot in the arm. And you heard it here on the Audio Nowcast. But uh, Apple, by the way, just bought Next VR. Wow, that'll be interesting to see what happens. Hey, Nick, were you going to say something before we move on? Uh, I was trying to. There were so yeah, there were so many things to 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 jump in there on. You know, basically, so you're saying that like a universal audio or some other, you know, hardware software pro audio manufacturer would have the next generation version of the uh you know of the tool that rob has for example in which they're able to put you know incredible shark processors on it to be able to do all that stuff and then they have to design all of the software to be able to make use of all of that um I agree with Rob. I think that it's a really niche market and it has to be something, it has to be something where an NVIDIA or some huge gaming company, you know, where that sells hundreds of thousands of cards rather than a, you know, rather than a universal audio has to make it and has to be, they have to be convinced that that's the next big thing because they have to be able to have something competitive. I agree, but I think it could, it could, play out as a chip and they could always license the technology if it's that good you know i mean it's only going to work if it's that good and obviously the the mm. financial parameters have to make sense but all i can tell you is that if there was a hot new reverb out there that yeah. did amazing things that we haven't seen before that can create you know even in stereo create these amazing um spaces for sure you know sign me up but we'll move on we'll see how it goes and if anybody out there steals my idea we'll just mention the podcast that's all <laughs> hey uh so um last week while we were uh, doing our little podcast we came up with a great idea which was show and tell because we were all waiting for rob to show the most beautiful drum machine ever which was the lin 9000 and believe me that is one gorgeous drum machine and so we said hey why don't we just uh, bring some gear to show so uh i want to open it up right now it'll be um, pretty interesting for people who aren't watching the video that's yet. right so if you're not if you're not watching uh, i'm going to use this to plug our igtv audio nowcast uh, and i'm also going to move all the podcasts that we've recorded i'm going to move them over to youtube so go to audio nowcast to find our channel there if you want to see what we're talking about or you can catch us on Instagram TV at Audio Nowcast. That's our handle. So either way, YouTube or Instagram TV, you'll be able to see what's coming up. And uh, this will be really fun. So, hey, guys, who wants to start? Who wants to start the little show and tell and uh, show us a piece of gear that you brought? Did I start off with the piece of gear I couldn't find last week? Yes, please. Let me move the mic out of the way. By the way, I have, I have 
two little bits of show and tell today. That's all right. The one thing I got to say is I am amazed how much heavier all this old equipment is than I remembered it being. Yeah. Everything, because I was going through closets and stuff, everything weighs twice as much as I remember it weighing. I think we got used to things being made out of yeah. like wood and iron and... It has nothing to do with your muscles atrophying due to age, Rob. It's just that they became denser over time. <laughs> no, it, these things weigh a ton. I don't know how we put up with it, but let me show you uh, poster child from last week. Oh, man, if it's a DMP7, I'll be so happy. <laughs> I was going to try to find the DMP7. <laughs> yes! Yeah! Look yeah! at that thing. Come on. How gorgeous is oh. that? Wow. That is beautiful. He's holding up a lid 9,000. And what did that go for in the day? Like a car. They were about five grand, I think. Yeah, they were pretty expensive. And, and Rob, tell them what the sliders are there, the volume and the, well, I won't say it. You tell them. Oh, no, you can tell them because I can't point. The, uh, the volume is one of the set of sliders. And is it uh, tuning the other set of sliders? What's the, what's the small one? Panning. Panning, that's what it was. And the volume, I think, can become tuning. But yeah, that and that was you're looking at the at the father of the uh, MPC, basically. That it came from that that marriage kind of started the whole thing. Let me see if I can show you the back. That thing is it's huge. Huge and it weighs a ton. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. Individual outputs for each channel. That is amazing. That is. Do, that, do you still have the Do you still have the waveframe? Yeah, I still have three waveframes. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but they're too big to bring in here. But yeah, so there's there's your original Lin 9000, probably circa what, 1986? Yeah, probably, probably. I would say, yeah, maybe even later than that. Um, that was like the last big <clears throat> hurrah from, from Lin. Check out, this is shows that it's in the 80s. Check out the colors of the Lin 9000 logo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's turquoise and pink. It is so... That's Miami Vice. Look at that, that triangle. That is like... You can get... You know what? And the other thing was, and, and I just now remembered, it's also a sequencer. Yeah. It's also a sequencer. Um, yeah, and, uh, and actually Martin used that drum machine and the sequencer a lot. I remember when I first showed up at his studio, he had one of those that he used on in the House of Stone and Light album and a couple other songs. So yeah, that was a, that was a big deal. You know what? I can tell you one other super quick last minute story that involves the Lin 9000 because these things used to be a nightmare, especially before the floppy drive. They used to have to use a cassette tape. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I was once doing a show with Stevie and it was when Ray Charles was being inducted into the Kennedy Center Honors. And there were actually very famous pictures of this because it was at the Kennedy Center and Ray Charles was on stage and Ronald Reagan was sitting in the audience. And when they died, I think I told the story a long time ago, when they died within a short time of each other, a lot of the news stations showed pictures of that moment when Ray Charles was on stage and Reagan was watching him from the audience because that's one of the few pictures they had together. Well. I was setting up Stevie for a performance to honor Ray Charles, and we had the Lin 9000 with a cassette tape drive, and I had loaded up the song. I think, I think it may have been Part-Time Lover, actually. Uh, I had loaded up the song from the cassette drive and then walked off the stage. But then right before Stevie went on, I saw that the screen, this little LCD screen here, <laughs> watch it like a hawk. Instead of saying, 
whatever it had to say, you know, the tempo and stuff. Yeah. It was just all black rectangles. Oh, I could no. tell the had crashed. So I crawled out. I was wearing a tuxedo. I remember crawling out on stage to reload the cassette tape. And Quincy Jones was the MC, and he was standing on stage. And he actually pointed over at me because the whole audience, including Reagan, could see me on my knees loading <laughs> up this 9000. And Quincy Jones, to make a joke, said, ladies and gentlemen, craft work. <laughs> into last week's uh, show a little bit but so the lin 9000 reloaded up stevie came out and played and it was fine but this machine not this exact one this was mine but uh this machine used to leave us high and dry all the time and then when they came out with a floppy drive because it used to take like three or four minutes to load a song with a floppy yeah. drive, it took a few seconds so that was a lifesaver but that's enough enough lin 9000 for this there it is well done. Honorable mention I'll do uh, a little later. All right. Uh, yeah. Uh, Scott, why don't, you, why don't you give us one of yours? Um, oh, goodness. This is, I mean, it's popular now, but I bought this in 1975. Wow. It's an MXR phaser and the MXR distortion. Wow. I had these... I bought these in high school. Wow. I was in band, and now they're still, you know, this is the original, you know, the old ones, and they still sound great. Um, so they're both very vintagey, especially at this age. I got some older stuff too, but you know. that is pretty cool. That is pretty cool. I'd wrestle you for those. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the quintessential. Donald Fagan's Steely Dan sound uh, yeah. was the MXR Phase 90 on, on a Rhodes. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a classic combination for sure. I like it. Uh, next, who wants to go next? Scott. I mean, that's Scott. <laughs> Nick. I've got this great MXR that I got. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Donald Fagan used to. <laughs> Brought to you by short-term memory. <laughs> i'm trying to prep something at the same time i'm trying to, trying to talk all right so. well i am going to i mean you guys you know the people that are watching this see all of these awesome evil toys behind me every every time and so i'm going to talk about this synthesizer this modular synthesizer system right here um it is a Serge modular system, which is a system that was invented primarily by a guy named uh, Serge Cherepnin uh, at CalArts in the mid-70s because he, it was, you know, he wanted to be able to create a people synthesizer where people could actually afford these things because, of course, the Moog modulars were so incredibly expensive and the Buchla stuff was really expensive. And so he wanted to build a system that, uh, you know, people, particularly, you know, avant-garde composers who generally are not rolling in a lot of dough, um, be able to have an electronic music system that they could, that they could work with. So this one is mine. And um, I, I, I learned on these in the, in, the, in the early 90s, and I loved them so much that, you know, finally I said, all right, I'm going to have my own. This system is a combination. Um, these three panels in the middle are by a company called LB Designs in Australia. Uh, they are called the Best of CGS or Best of Cat Girl Synth uh, Systems, and they you know consist of sequencers and all sorts of weird processors, but it's you know normal stuff, ADSRs and VCAs and oscillators and things like that. Um, the top 
one and the bottom piece here, if you can see it, those are a pair of systems that are original circuits from the very first designs that Serge made in 1973. And these two were both hand-built by me, um, which wow. was absolutely wonderful. And wow, they sound, that's incredible. They sound great. And then the other thing that I'm so proud of, so, you know, when I have time, I'm learning it. It's such a deep instrument, you know. It's one of these things where you could spend the rest of your life saying, all right, this is my electronic music instrument. This is all I'm ever going to do. And you would still never plumb the depths of it, right? The other thing that I'm really proud of is each of these modules are like a rectangle, right? And um, I didn't have any way to be able to mount them up. And believe it or not, they don't generally sell Serge Modular stands at Guitar Center. So I had to uh, come up with something myself. And so I downloaded uh, some public domain software called LibreCAD, and I learned how to be able to use 2D CAD software. And these edges here on the side, I'm gonna, I'll tell about it, and then I'll just show it and then move on. The edges were designed by me in this 2D software, and then I took that file and I sent it to a company that then etched it out of really thick aluminum, and then I took those aluminum pieces and took them to another place that powder-coated them purple, and then I came back and set everything up, and it all worked perfectly. The, 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 all of the, the holes were in exactly the right spots, so I'm going to show that real, real quick. That is incredible. And you know what, Nick? I have a mission for you, Nick. Yes. Uh, not on this one, but uh, on the next podcast. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta play a little bit of something from yeah. that. Okay? Yeah. I was, get, I was gonna get it set up to be able to be able to hear, and I ran out of time before. No, that's okay. You got, you got, yes. just got a week. Next, next podcast, next week, we're gonna give you a little three-minute section so that you can show that thing up because I want to hear what it sounds like. I promise. That's, that's a deal. Awesome. You, you got a deal, Mike. All right, uh, nice. Brandon, how about you? Yes. First, Nick, I'm, I'm always so amazed at how talented you guys are beyond, <laughs> beyond audio. It's like, oh, I'm machining a, a whole stand thing here. That's awesome. Very cool. Um, all right, so if you visit my studio, this is the speech you get about my gear. Um, so about, I don't know, 10 plus years ago, I fell in love with uh, a company called Thermionic Culture. They're a British company boutique. I so remember that. I remember yeah, that. I'm, I'm sure it was at back at Trailer Park. I know I told Mike about it. Check this out, man. The fat bustard. So this is, uh, I found, anyways, I fell in love with that sound and I've pined after these for several, several years. I finally bought this uh, whole set of a couple of years ago. Uh, the first is a summing mixer um, called the fat bustard. It's a 12 channel summing mixer. If you count the two auxiliary inputs, 14 channel. Um, so you got four stereos here four monos here um and this can be two monos or stereo yeah. the uh this awesome red knob that says attitude next to it mm. um basically turn it turns up the harmonic distortion it's set to uh it's a a triode setting uh the thermionic rooster over here you can switch between triode and pentode it's the they're all related to the culture vulture if you know their their sort of flagship product the culture vulture distortion that has even more distortion settings. But anyways, the uh, triode's very uh, musical distortion. Um, it basically just turns up the tubey goodness. Uh, it's got some other bells and whistles. Got, it's got a very Pultec-y sounding uh, uh, EQ up here. It's got a, a bass lift at 50 and a uh, top lift at 10. I feel like I've only used the, the uh, Pultec plugins, but the, the bass is a lot tighter to me here than that. I've never used the real deal, so I can't really compare. Uh, you got your bass and top cuts. 
you've got a spread filter and a spread filter uh, cutoff, so you can set that just to spread above a certain frequency. There's three settings there. Uh, you can do uh, base to center uh, below 100 and 200, I believe it is, and just go everything to mono if you want. Um, and then this is the Phoenix Plus Mastering Compressor, um, an amazing sounding boutique compressor. Uh, it can be really smooth if you want it to be, but it can also be aggressive if you drive the input hard. It's a very move, so it's got a little bit of a Fairchild sound, uh, but again, I'm only comparing to plug-in versions. I've never used the real deal, uh, but very interesting. I, this doesn't sound like any compressor I have in the box. It's amazing sounding. It's got a sidechain bass cut over here, so you know if you've got some low-end material and it's really grabby, you can pull the, uh, the low frequencies out of the compression circuit, which is very useful because everything I do has a lot of bass. And then the, uh, the Swift um, EQ down here is an amazing sound of EQ. I can get some really great, you know, really great definition in the, you know, upper mids and highs without being harsh. It's like, it brings out a lot up there without, without being harsh and uh, just overall really nice sounding EQ. And this, so within the box, I'm doing a, a multi-bus, multi-bus compression slash um, parallel compression at the bus level approach. And that's all getting piped out. So that's another discussion, but that's all getting piped out and going through this. And then I mix into all of this. So I'm treating this as my, my master channel. That is fantastic. And I love the 3124s. Do they still make that stuff? Oh, Mike sold me these, by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah, Scott. Yeah, you can buy. Yeah, they definitely still make these. These are, uh, it's a, the company is in business. <laughs> well, yeah. Brandon, I have a quick question for you. Um, yeah. And that is when you're running everything through that whole chain, does it become too transformery and too tuby or does it, you know, or does it work to, to have, you know, cause think about it, every, right, right. every, every part of the signal chain, you're adding more and more and more of that incredibly awesome stuff. I'm just curious yeah. whether it becomes too much after a while. What do you think? Oh yeah. If you, um, well, the way I'm using it on a master bus is very different than how I'm, if I'm routing individual instruments into it, I'm using very, you know, moderate conservative settings here. I'm not usually hitting the attitude on a full mix. It makes the bass a little, you know, if you put distortion on a bass, the, the wrong kind, it can make it kind of a little mushy. Um, but on the, you know, so on the full mix, I'm using it very mild settings. Um, but on individual instruments, I will crank the shit out of some of the stuff and you can get some very aggressive, very nice sounding stuff works really well with electronic stuff, especially synths sure. and stuff going through here, just, you know, in the box, you know, soft synths through here. Now you've got a really cool sounding analog type thing with the control of, you know, a soft synth. Hey, I'm going to pipe in right here because I've heard some of branded stuff. And especially when he first got it, um, he was like, check this out, check this out. And I'll tell you, the one thing that 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 signal chain does is it adds, for lack of a better word, weight to your electronic stuff. It adds yep. this this presence, this heaviness in a, in a good way. It just really gives it some beefcake. Like it would make my voice sound like James Earl Jones. Okay, maybe not that bad, but, but, it just, but it does. It adds a really nice, yeah. nice sheen of weights to it. Oh, and speaking That's of cool. voice, I forgot this little guy. This is my, the rooster, again, Thermionic Culture, a uh, Mike Pre with some other. Oh. Oh. A, a vocal. Well, great. 
you, you dropped out there, but we got the, the rooster part. All right. Well, we're going to oh, move, for, we're going to move on. Um, I'm going to do, uh, I, I got, I got one to, uh, Rob, were you going to say something? Go ahead. Do yours. I was going to show, show mine. So um, I got to give a little backstory. Uh, back in the day, this was about 14 years ago. I was really into, you know, uh, alternate controllers and different types of ways to make, um, uh, music and I've always kind of been into the esoteric things and so Yamaha uh, came out with this instrument that was so ridiculously high priced but it was this instrument that was part instrument and part um, art they wanted to be like an art piece and so it, it came in a hard case and it was it came out really cool and I didn't spend 1200 bucks, but I spent a good amount of money on it back in the day when I could afford to spend that kind of money on weird things. And, uh, and uh, the funny thing is, is it's been this, what I'm about to show you, you can now buy at the app store to do exactly the same thing for like a buck or two. But this, and I don't know if you guys ever remember this, but um, this is Yamaha's let me raise the volume. It's one of Rob's mixers? Nope. This is the Tenorion. Oh, cool. Wow. I, remember I don't know that. if you guys ever remember this. I do remember it. Totally. I remember that, yeah. So basically, what you get is you have um, 16 tracks, and each set of tracks does something a little different. And um, I'll just give you a quick example of like uh, this track right here. This. This is track 14. So basically everything I do on So see all those little dots falling? So you can set the dots to fall. That's <laughs> awesome. Okay, so I know it's, it sounds like a bunch of cacophony right now and I can just I can just clear it like that but the cool thing about this is two things number one is it has MIDI out so all the controllers you can assign to your own instruments the other thing is is you can put your own samples into it so you don't necessarily have to have all just the beeps and the boops it could be samples it could be whatever you want and uh, what year would you say it's from this is from 2006 2006 2007 and this is the kind of piece that literally I bought it and, and to say it was buyer's remorse. <laughs> like you're finally getting use out of it tonight. Yeah. To say it was buyer's remorse, it wasn't as powerful as I thought it was going to be because think of technology back in 2006, right? But it was kind of cool and it looked good. But recently, I just started getting into this and started like learning how to program it. And let me turn this off real quick. Um, and it's just been really fun. And I'm like, what a fun little piece of gear to, you know, just to have, just to, just to mess around. And, uh, and they came out with a, in about five years afterwards, they came out with a version where you didn't have the, the lights on both sides. Because see, on this one, I have lights on both sides. And it has a little control screen right there. Oh, wow. And it only has lights on one side. But I'm really glad I got this because it's, it's, it's gonna, you know, this is one of my cooler pieces. And when I have it out and people look at it, they're like, what's that? And I go, oh, I'll tell you what that is. And I wanna buy it. <laughs> and, I, and I let them, 
exactly. It <laughs> seems like it's a perfect coronavirus. I can't sleep. It's three in the yeah. It's three in the morning, and I'm freaking out about the world coming down around my ears. So I'm going to turn on the Tenorion with you know no lights on and just sit there and zen out with it. It's totally, that's exactly bad. right. And you know you can save songs in that, but I've never saved any songs, and I've probably made the most amazing music. You know every ninth time that i play with it and it's just like well this has just kind of gone into the ether it, so it probably also rates as the most annoying thing you could bring on an airplane <laughs> <laughs> it's so true well it's so funny because uh, i i like watching uh the it crowd on netflix i don't know if you guys seen it but anyhow there's a scene where the guy walks in and there are a bunch of super nerds the <clears> it <throat> department and he has one of those that he's looking at i'm like yeah that's the on. anyway like does that have a, a randomizer of any sort Oh yeah, there, there's yeah. there's all kinds of ways to randomize. Like there's one track where you just put different, you just literally hit different parts of the screen. And by the way, the screen is a major scale, and you can change whatever scale you want on it. So you just push the buttons, and then it'll randomly just switch between whatever button you push. So it, hmm. you'll come up with some really random stuff. So there's some. And as far as the range of synth noises, is it all just basic sign? You know waveforms well, or what is it yeah it's it's all their basic sounds but it's midiable so you can you can assign it a midi track and send it out to whatever you want i and i have the case and i have all the cables and everything um and uh, rob would be proud of all the stuff that i have i even have the manual nice hold on look at look at this manual that wow this thing, this thing is serious <laughs> Mike, do you need a computer editor to be able to change, say, the scale? No. Or is that all stuff that you just do on it just you by it, pushing different buttons? And yeah, just by pushing different buttons. And they have a little control screen and you can, and it has an SD card slot. <clears throat> oh, so wow. Can, this is how you bring, you know, stuff in and out, you know? Wow. So this card slot, this card, this is a, <laughs> I'm going to show you the card. <laughs> Um, wow, secured, two gigabytes. Two gigabytes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's hilarious. That's the one that came with it too. So that's hilarious. That's so funny. So can I uh, take you on one last trip down memory lane here? Absolutely. Not even going to give it an introduction. It's, it's from about the same era as the other card. Just going to hold it up. I doubt Brandon is old enough to have suffered with this, thing, but everybody else <laughs> I know what that is. <laughs> wow. Oh, God. The Roland MSQ 700. 700. Hardware sequencer. Yep. That was the big deal at one time. With MIDI and DCB yes, on the I back, because you never know which standard's oh, going to take it. Uh, oh my yeah, this goodness was, this was my first hardware sequencer this is definitely mid 80s that's mid 80s and it was really expensive for yeah. me at least yeah, oh yeah yeah it was not cheap that is that's awesome hold on i'm gonna keep hold it up I, i'm gonna switch to speaker view really quick so that people can see as rob's arms fall off <laughs> yeah, by the way this is also twice as heavy as i remember it <laughs> and they're all like made of steel, you know. It's like it's made of it's made of iron. Yeah, you can put it down, Rob. That's great. So I thought you'd like that. This was uh, it was actually sitting near the Lin, the Lin Nine Thousand in the uh, 
it was in the history pile along with the Lynn. They're sort of from the same era, so uh, I figured you guys would want to see it. And I'm sure some of you have horror stories with this thing, because I certainly do. Yeah, that was one of those things that, uh, for one thing, sync. That's all I can say is, is sync. Oh. Sync back in the day was, that's a podcast in and of itself. <laughs> yeah, just trying to get pilot tones to line up and... Uh. Just trying to get stuff that was supposed to sync up. And when it just would not hold sync, like you're like, what is going wrong? And it's not just Roland. Let's not pick on Roland. Yamaha they, was working on its own stuff on the other end of the... Of the they all had problems with it. Yeah. And I remember having to do things like taking the sync tone out of a drum machine or whatever yeah. and EQing it so that other equipment would be able to hear it clearer. Like, do you remember having to do that? Like oh. time codes and EQ them? And yes. That's when the reason... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention a piece of gear and everybody's going to go, uh, and that's the... Uh, the Adam Smith, the Zeta. Oh, you know, yeah. yeah. When, when they came out with their Zeta module and everybody was like, oh, my gosh, it all works now. <laughs> against Lynx, remember? Yeah. yeah. So it was like and this. Yep, the Lynx. That's another <laughs> huge one. And the Lynx was actually, the cool thing about the Lynx was the fact that it could control the machines. It just wasn't a synchronizer. You could set your ins and your outs. And especially, I remember doing laybacks with the links and you can do more than one machine at a time. And yeah, that was a, that was a big deal. I had both. The Adam Smith was amazingly fast and it was, once it worked, which was not the easy thing to do, it was better than anything. The latency, when you hit play, it just moved. And the links you hit play and it was like, uh, uh, and go. Yeah, that's true. You're a hundred. I remember that. I remember really that. Had to be, you really had to be a scientist back then. Like, yeah. even though you were spending a fortune for the equipment, that was like half the battle. Then you actually but had to get it to work. The program, the capstan, and everything in links, everything it was in hex. Yeah, <laughs> it was crazy. Hey, listen, we're gonna have to wrap this up. What a fun podcast, man! This was really fun. Great stories. Love to see the gear. Um, we're gonna do. We're gonna. We're gonna have to do some more gear. So plan on bringing some another piece of gear next next week. This is really fun, and I, and I think uh, I think it'll be something we'll we'll try to do. Hey, uh, one thing that I wanted to um, answer a question. I had a, a listener who was asking how long we're going to be doing this um, the weekly podcast, and I just want to reiterate, we're doing it as long as we're in the stay at home order out here in California where I live, we're going to do it every week. And for two reasons, number one, I mean, what else am I going to do on a Thursday night? But number two, you know, if you listen to our podcast, our podcast has been around for 14 years. If you listen to the very first episode to where we are right now, not only is it a podcast of just some really fun conversations, but we really cover history In in our early podcasts, we talk about the switch from, um, you know, going from CDs to going to the iPod. And then we also talk about from the iPod going to the iPhone. And we, you know, you can, we cover a little bit of history along the way as audio has, has basically grown up and you hear Scott, you know, back in the early days, Scott's talking about the movies and things like that. And then he gets into to gaming and getting into VR. Everybody, <laughs> but everybody's kind of, kind of developed. And then when Nick came on and then he, you know, he came from, you know, doing his own sound recording and all that stuff. And he came in and now he's, he's hitting it and he was, you know, doing all the virtual stuff. I mean, all the um, app stuff with Disney, but now you're going back to his roots and stuff like that. And even Brandon, even some of the stuff when Brandon first came on some of the early stuff. So if you listen to our podcast, 
you're not just listening to a bunch of guys talking. You 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 get to listen to history, and that's what I every once in a while I'll go back to an old podcast. I will cringe, mind you, but I'll go, and it's just really interesting to hear some of the stuff we talk about and growing up with some of those things, especially when we talk about like the closing. I don't know if you guys remember this when we were talking about the closing of record stores, like Virgin closed and Tower closed, and that was like man, it's almost like mourning an old friend. But anyway, that's that's one of the reasons why we're going to keep podcasting to this time because it's a really unique time. <clears throat> And I think in history, we're just going to remember this as a pretty historical moment in, in the world. So um, as long as we're under that stay-at-home order, we're going to do, you know, do the podcast. Funny story, Mike. I just had to explain to my eight-year-old son what an iPod is the other day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Vintage iPods. Oh, it's vintage it's, now. It's so, it's so crazy, but it's so I true. I saw one sitting around somewhere. Yeah, I've got a couple. I've got. Oh yeah, I've got like four of them somewhere. <laughs> the, the little micro iPods and the nano they were iPods. So great. They, they were, were so, so good. They were so yeah. good. But now you realize my iWatch has more memory than some of the earlier ones. So it's yeah. it's kind of crazy. Anyhow, anybody really quick before we go, want to plug anything before we uh, sign off? Anybody working on anything new? I just say that I just finished episode nine of Mrs. America on Hulu. Woo! Uh, did really well. Um, so. Yeah, I've, I've started it in uh, Labor Day in, uh, in a different era of the world. No kidding. I've been on it since the early September, and uh, we finished our, our creative uh, tonight. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And it's great that you finished it on Zoom, which is even more amazing. You started off in this big Atmos room. and you end up point, in, no, amazing, That's an amazing story of how we did it. That's, um, that's great. All right. Well, if nobody else has anything to say, I've got, I've got, go go on. I'm going to go crank out some sick beats on this Lynn 9000. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very, I'm very proud of the fact that uh, I just sent off 20 face masks to a fire department in Wisconsin who needed it. And tomorrow I'm sending out eight face shields to a dentist office up in Marin um, where they don't have any face shields to be oh, able that's to great. keep the dental hygienists, you know, safe. And I'm just continuing to crank that 3d printer is going 24 seven and it makes me feel really good. Oh, that's fantastic. That's great. Well, um, really quick before we go, how great was the Lynn snare drum sound when you pressed it? Like seriously, when you just said the sick beat on the Lynn 9000, that Lynn, that electronic snare drum sound where you compress it just a little bit to get that beef on it, that's like one of my favorite snare sounds of all times. Do you remember? Oh, this thing weighs a ton. And the hi hat decay slider. Oh, playing hi hat. You could open and close the hi-hat, the electronic hi-hat. That is the Lin 9000. Did it have the repeat button or was that just the MPC? Yeah, it had the repeat. So you could hold down. And this is one of the that Stevie was amazing at in the real world in the early days of this. You would hold the repeat button here and press the snare drum pad and it would go and it was pressure sensitive. So you could do like drum rolls and drum fills where you, you ended up playing the repeat button and the pressure on yeah. the pad and you could actually get some really live drummerish sounding fills so between being able to finesse the open close hi-hat yeah drum and the fill button it was really cool roger lynn was what do you think what do you think today has replaced it just the mpcs i mean this was the grandfather of every mpc is it the mpcs or the machina 
the Native well, Indian is then a descendant of the MPCs. I mean, this, the Lin 9000 and the early Lins were the original. This was the first one that was a sequencer and a drum machine. Yeah. Hey, I'll tell you what, MPCs are still kicking. Akai literally just released a brand new MPC Live 2. So they're still around. I, I bought like last year, although I sold it because I wasn't using it because it didn't have any arrangement, but I bought the Force, MP, the Akai Force, and that was, that was incredible. Um, it's just this most amazing live thing. So there's definitely a good, uh, you know, they spawned some really great, great, great machines, you know, standalone drum machines. And you know what's interesting is that Roger, yep. Lin, Roger Lin is still. Is, is that Akai or Machina? Oh, this is the machine. This That's is the machine. The latest version. All right. Yeah. Go ahead, Nick. All I was going to say was that Roger Lynn, I mean, you can see how musical his hardware design was then, and it still is. I mean, you know, he's now working on the Linstrument, which is, you know, an, an exceedingly supple, you yes. know, MIDI controller that can do so much stuff. So it's very clear what his through line of, you know, thought, mu musical thought, and musical design has been over the decades, right? And it's actually, that's, that's one of my lusting pieces of gear that I'd love to get that I can't do right now is that because I've actually played at the NAMM show and it's just really cool and really fun. And, and you, you can just think musically in different ways. We're yeah. going to have to do it. We'll, we'll do a little discussion on um, playing music on alternative controllers and things like that and, and how it just really spawns creativity. Um, but anyway, that was, that was awesome. Thank you so much, Rob, for that. That just made my day just to see those old, uh, that, the old Win 9000. That was just really awesome. If so borrow it, we can work out a deal. <laughs> I don't, you know what? I would borrow it just to spend an evening just playing on that thing because it's super fun, but it's, it's super unreliable too. So <laughs> You can trade it to Rob for the Tenori on. <laughs> No, you could, for the price of the lid 9,000, that was like five grand. And this is like 200. You could buy like. Another thing, remember, I think we talked about it a little last week. With the lid 9,000, there was that guy, Bruce Ferrat, who did the modification. Yes, yes. This one, this one doesn't have it. But if you look at a Ferrat version on the back, he actually put a switch, like a sampling switch, on every one of these cards. So he figured out how to retrofit this thing to be an individual sampler per pad and did a hardware mod so that each one of these sound cards had a sample button on it. Yeah. It's one of the most ingenious things I think in my entire career. They, they, genius. They were just genius at that aftermarket thing. All right. Well, that was fun. What a great discussion right there between goodbye. <laughs> so from myself and all the guys, thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next time. We love you, Joanne. Thanks for listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Wireworld Pro Audio. The Audio Nowcast is hosted by Mike Rodriguez and features a panel with Rob Arbutier, Bobby Osinski, Scott Gershon, Nick Peck, Diego Stucco, Brandon Birdside, Martin Page, Bobby Summerfield, and maybe a guest or two. We'll see you next time.